live again from Hilton Head, South Carolina. This is the third edition of the Living for Eternity podcast. Again, I have another special guest with me, someone who's been a true blessing in my life, who I've been honored to have in my life. God has used him greatly in my life. Um, he's my uncle Alonzo, my pastor. Oops. You've heard about him enough on this podcast already, and today you actually get to hear from him. Um, and we're looking forward to that um, with expectation. Uh, a lot of my friends who follow the podcast are looking forward to it too. So I know it'll be a blessed time, and uh, we're ready to get right into it today. Um, our topic is dealing with manhood. What is a man, biblically? What does that look like? Um, and we'll leave it there, and we'll get into the interview. But first, we want to start off with our scripture for the day. And that's coming from 1 Corinthians 16, 13. It says, be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong, let all that you do be done in love. That's just a very, very powerful, powerful, powerful scripture. Again, everything we want to do is with eternal perspective. God wants men to act like men all the time, both for time and eternity. And with that, our generation, our lives, and our society will be blessed tremendously. We need men that's going to act like men in the face of perseverance. I mean, in the face of persecution, what people may call toxic masculinity, masculinity, God still calls men to act like men. I read this thought the, uh, the previous episode, but I just want to reinforce it again. The thought for the day is this. In reading a book by John MacArthur entitled Right Thinking in a World Gone Wrong, he gives a principle on how to have a proper perspective under the Lordship of Christ towards life, entertainment, our desires, and passions. He stated, right priorities and godly passions stem out of a proper perspective, a heavenly mindset that, underst that understands eternal realities and interprets this life accordingly. If this world were all there was, we would be wise to amass treasures and search for happiness in the here and now, but that is not reality. This world is not all there is. So again, it's compounding this. It just keeps building on this eternal perspective. This life is not it. Death is not the end. It's only the beginning of eternity. But what we do now impacts both time and eternity. And we want to keep that in context as we go through the podcast. Living for eternity. So again, I have a very special guest, a man who has influenced me tremendously in my life. I've been living with him for the last seven years. I've been able to see a godly walk, a godly husband, a godly pastor, a godly father for the last seven years and impact me in a way that I can't explain. I'm almost bubbling over with smiles to have him had an opportunity to speak with him one-on-one -on, -one on this interview. But uh, Uncle Lonzo, if you could just say hi to the people, that would be great. Good evening, everyone. <laughs> um, great to be here. Thanks for all the love. Thanks for all the patience. Um, I've been reluctant to do this, but <laughs> I'm all the, I'm all the glad to be here. Um, what a topic! Biblical manhood, very passionate, dear, very dear to my, to my heart and to the ministry God has given me. Ministry to the men as well as to the next generation that comes behind us. So it's definitely apropos, something that's dear to my heart. Amen, amen. So we're gonna go straight into it. We're gonna go straight into it with the first interview question, and that is. What does it mean to be a man biblically? And with that being said, I would like to uh, address the passage that was read earlier coming out of uh, 1 Corinthians 16, verse 13, as well as 14, 
which again challenges men. And the context of that is Paul is writing a letter to a church that is very divisive. Divisive because it lacked maturity. And we understand that when God actually, <coughs> excuse me, when God uh, establishes and gets anything done in the earth, he does it through man, a male. Not just saying that women are not important to the cause of of all of humanity, but again, when he wants to get things done, he gets it done through men. Because there's a passage in the Old Testament, it slips you right now, but he says, I was searching for a man that I might not curse the land. So again, we know God is searching for men to actually be men. And in this passage, Paul is talking to a church that is very immature. Because if you was to turn your attention to that same book, chapter three, verse one, he says, I'm reading out of the NLT, he says, Dear brothers and sisters, when I was with you, I couldn't talk to you as I would spiritual people. I had to talk as though you belonged to this world or as though you were infants in Christ. Again, that is the theme of this whole letter that Paul is writing to this church. The context is that the church is very immature, it's gifted church, has a lot of money, it has a lot of resources, but it's a very divisive church. And the part that Desmond read to you in your hearing had to do with Apollos and Stephanus Stephanus and things of this nature. But Paul, as he was ending this letter, is trying to again convey that you've very, been in very immature, you've been using your gift and wrongly, and now I want you to stand up because if you was to read that passage again, if you uh, cite some of that first uh, phrase, he says what? Now concerning our brother Apollos. No, talk about the that. first one you read. That was the main one. Oh yeah, be watchful. Right there. Be watchful. Mm. That means you have to, again, be alert to what's going on in your presence, what's going on around you. This church, again, was, was confused with what they were called to become. So he's saying, be alert, be watchful. Continue, please. Stand firm in the faith. Stand firm. Again, you have to be stable. And again, <clears throat> anybody you know, when you start walking as a child, let's use that analogy. You first of all, you, you, you crawl. And then when you stand, you have to stand. And then you start wobbling as a child. But as you continue to grow in your and, and you grow in your muscles and your ligaments and things of this nature and in confidence, you start walking and you're not wobbling as much. What the Church of Corinth was doing was actually wobbling mm. in their faith. They was going to and fro. They was wavering a lot. So again, that is a principle that Paul is trying to convey. Stand firm. Be stable. What was the next part of that? Act like men. Be strong. Act like men. Man, some passages you would hear saying that that's, a, again, an immature church, a church that is being led by immature men. Mm -hmm. they're, walk, they're running things through their emotions. They're trying to be spiritually deep, but they are not being alert to things around them because Paul is actually addressing the church that they have spiritual battle going on in the midst of them. Mm -hmm. And in the spiritual battle, because those all those terms that he's using is military terms. So, again, we are in the spiritual warfare. Mm -hmm. So, brothers, you have to be on alert. And when you do it, you can't run when the enemy comes. So you got to learn to stand firm. And in standing firm, you can't run away like a child would do. You have to stand and fight the good fight of faith. So he's telling men, you can't run from the truth because what you're standing for is going to bring opposition. And in that opposition, you have to stand firm. You can't be wavering to and fro. 
So this is the things that what he was talking about a man. So when you look at that and going back to your question, what does biblical manhood looks like? It's again, it's about a man again who has a purpose in his life. From the book of uh, <clears throat> Robert Lewis, uh, not strong men in tough times, but uh, raising the modern day night. Man, manhood. Don't let your sons leave home without it. Again, that book addressed manhood with a very definitive definition or a very insightful definition of what a man should look like. He should be a man who rejects passivity. Mm -hmm. He accepts responsibility. He leads courageously and expects a greater reward, God's reward. And again, in that whole context, God also wants us to understand that when you are a man, there are going to be some things you're going to have to confront. There are going to be things you're going to have to say no to that other people are not willing to accept the no to. So again, that's about you can't be passive when a no is the right answer in this situation. Or a yes, a firm yes is the right answer. And even though somebody might want you to say no. So again, men, from a biblical standpoint, again, let's reiterate. First of all, you cannot be passive being a man. It comes with too much responsibility to be passive. People are looking up to you too much to lead to be passive. So you have to, again, reject the passivity that, again, this nature doesn't mind embracing. Because, again, we live in a nature that actually is... A, a nature that wants ease it doesn't want confrontation it doesn't want battle it wants things to just go and make my life easy but when you live in this real world you and I know we gotta make real decisions we cannot be passive and again you gotta accept your responsibility this mantle of manhood that God has bestowed upon us as we just alluded to scripture manhood is a heavy mantle that you have to carry. And in carrying it, it's not going to be light and it's going to require you to, again, to put it on, walk with it, even when you don't want to. So you have to be responsible to what God has called you to. And then, in this responsibility as a man, you have to take lead. Again, in order to lead, you first have to follow someone who, who's shown you what leadership is. And in that, when you've learned leadership and when you've submitted to somebody in leadership, then you know the responsibility that leaders may have to endure. If you was if, 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 if you were following somebody and you've been a hard-headed person, you got to take that into account on how, again, when you get into leadership, you're going to have to deal with people who were once like you. So again, leadership is extremely important in our culture. And, it, and we can come up with all kinds of uh, definitions on it. But again, one of the big, greatest places that Paul keeps going to, and he uses military terms to, to describe what leadership should look like. And lastly, again, there's a greater reward, and it's God's reward. Again, as Christians, one of the greatest things we look forward to one day when we have to stand before our, our judge and our maker is to what? Here, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over the few things. Come up high, I'll make you rule over many. So that in the, in, the, in the nutshell is pretty much it. We again must 
reject passivity, accept responsibility, lead courageously, and expect the greater reward, God's reward. And in that same book, Robert Lewis also emphasized the fact that when we recognize <clears throat> God's reward is God gave man three things to do when he created man. Mm -hmm. He gave man a work to do, mm -hmm. a will to obey, mm -hmm. and a woman to love. So in that regard, again, that great responsibility of, of expecting God's with God's greater reward is again being faithful over the work that He puts in my hand, over the <clears throat> the will He tells me to obey, and over the woman He gave me to love. And when men uh, have been taught this, then we can walk in this. But so many of us haven't walked in. So again. I know that's been a little long-winded, but I hope it gave some insight into sure. um, what godly manhood from a broad perspective looks like from a biblical standpoint. Amen. Thank you so much. You was talking about complacency and ease mm -hmm. and how so often men, we, we want that vacation lifestyle, mm -hmm. you know? And uh, I wrote down not too long ago, um, for me, it's three C's of death, convenience, complacency, comfortability mm -hmm. those three c's are, are definitely things that i see would be one of those things that hebrew says so easily trips me up mm -hmm. especially when hard times hit mm -hmm. i want to be convenient i want to be complacent and i want to mm -hmm. be comfortable i want things to be convenient you know and i, I see that so often in my life mm -hmm. and that this that definition kind of it definitely crumbles bad mm -hmm. a lot um because i see that in myself yeah. and it shows like no you can't do that you know you're looking forward to this no, bro, you, you endure now because <laughs> God will bless you in the end. So I really appreciate that. No, and, and, and that is, again, um, Job, when he had to go through his great trial mm. in which God placed him under, again, he says, I was living quietly until he shattered me. He took me by the neck and he broke me into pieces. Then he set me up as his target. Again, when you read that in the context of what Job is talking about, if anybody knows the story of Job, again, Job starts off saying there was no other, there was no man greater than him. Mm -hmm. He had a great uh, reputation before men as well as before God, but God set him up to be a target, to 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 demonstrate what godly man would look like. It's going to be trials, it's going to be tribulations, but will you stand and not uh, deny God? Because that's what the enemy. Satan was trying to do was get him to deny God and Job would not even though through all the persecution his friends come up there judging him he stayed true to it and even though there were times he would almost slip when he came to a realization he just said that's what I just read to you and the King James you would hear it is I was at ease and he shook me by my neck mm -hmm. to your point of comfortability, ease. Mm -hmm. And then in the book of James, it, it deals with that. He said, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Aren't they, aren't they from the whole army of evil desires that are within you? Mm -hmm. And when you look up that, that phrase, army of evil desires, you will see that that word means, again, it's called hedonism mm -hmm. or hedonist. Mm -hmm. And that is the easy life. So again, and that's what causes because oftentimes we have... We're frustrated when people take away from us our comfort level. Right. We don't want no one to take us out of it. Just like when you came in today, wanting to to have you know to have this interview, 
again, that same thing. I was at ease. Yeah. And now I got to get from out of that in order to do something that God will call you to do. Yeah. So this is just a reality. We all struggle with convenience. Yeah. We all struggle with ease and complacency. And, but when God, and God sees it, knows it, and he knows what trial to send to you uniquely and to me uniquely. Won't be the same one, but the principle is all the same. It's to get us from out of ease, comfortability. Not that God doesn't want us to be at rest. Mm -hmm. Not that God doesn't want us to enjoy mm -hmm. comfort. Not that God doesn't want us to have sometimes an easy point in our life. Yeah. But we shouldn't make that the focus of it when there's work to be done. Yeah. So real. So real. Whew. Whew. That's a lot. It's good, though. So my next question is, where should men draw their strength from in this culture where masculinity is viewed as toxic? Mm. <clears throat> very good question. That's a very broad one. And it's, uh, um, I, it makes me think back to first and foremost, we should all should learn it from the first place is as our own fathers. Mm -hmm. And if our fathers didn't get it, then obviously we won't get it. That reminds me of, a, of something that was shared with me years ago when I listened to it on one of my favorite radio stations. It says, if a young man has to look further than his dining room table for a role model, then that young man is lost. Mm. Mm. So again, and, and wow. again, it's not in any way casting dispersions or judgment on the previous generations, especially in the African-American community. We know there's been a spiritual attack on that manhood since we came over into slavery. Mm -hmm. and, and, and again, not making excuses, but just the reality that the Bible teaches that we're not wrestling against flesh and blood. Mm -hmm. There are things in, in, the, in, the, in the spiritual realm that is at task of trying to, again, to emasculate us, mm -hmm. to take us from our homes, to, 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 to make us seem like we're disposable, we're not important. Mm -hmm. So we have that dimension that's out there. So how do we recapture that? Is again the place where God calls us to because the last institution that God has established is the church. And that's where they should go to to get it. But again, we can get into a whole nother segment about all the different nuances or deplorable things that have been going on in some of the uh, places that call the church the household of faith. We're not going to get into that. But again, the Bible specifically is the place where we need to go to deal with masculinity or biblical manhood because the person who saved us all Christ is the greatest example of what manhood looks like and again he's the epitome of those things we just said in terms of what a godly man looks like and again he, re he def definitely was not passive mm -hmm. he was responsible to this call what else did he do he led courageously yeah. even to a cross yeah. And then, what did he do? He expected a greater reward, God's reward. Amen. And then he also, again, what did he do? He had a work to do, he had a will to obey, and he had a woman to love, which is the church. So again, he's the epitome of that definitions that we said earlier. So again, if to answer that question directly, is that you need to go to Scripture, the Bible, and study the person of Jesus Christ to really understand what manhood, biblical manhood looks like. Mm. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. I want to throw something out here to you. I want to see what you think. It's a phrase 
being a male is biological. Being a man is intentional. Amen. How would you, can you expound on that? Oh, yeah, that's, that's definitely uh, something that is, has plagued us. I'm a man and you run around beating your chest because you're a male. No, just because you have genitals to set you aside as being a male does not make you a man. Mm-hmm. Man is, again, manhood is what this world needs. It's what our sisters are desiring. Mm-hmm. They, they want someone they can depend on, who can count on, mm-hmm. who's going to be there to lead, to protect, and to guide. And, of course, I can hear some sisters out there, I don't need a man. And I, I get it. I understand. <laughs> I've seen the example. I appreciate your upset and anger, but the reality of it is there are some yearnings and some longings within inside of you that you do yearn for. And again, <clears throat> and men are those guys who know what manhood looks like, and they're not afraid to uh, be vulnerable. You know, and and saying that I need that I need some help, because again, when you go back to the book of Genesis, when you go back to the beginning, that's what God did when. He created everything in, in five days, and then on the sixth day, he created man. Yeah. And in creating man, he, he gave man a, a, a work to do, mm-hmm. gave him a will to obey, and, and a woman to love. Not yet. And it's when he gave him a woman to love, well, that was actually gave him, if you will, the completion of it. Because now it was <clears throat> this, because God said, the Godhead came to a place where it says, after looking at everything, after God says, okay, here's your, I want you to do this work. I want you to name all the animals. Mm-hmm. And so God made, brought all the land animals to God, to, to Adam. And as Adam was naming them all, and I don't know, the Bible is not, is not specific on the time frame in which it took, mm-hmm. but he named the animals. And then after naming the animals, he, the Bible says he did not find anyone, anything that was suitable for him. Mm-hmm. God then said, we must give make a help it's not good for man to be alone Mm -hmm. we must make him a helper suitable for him so again we recognize in scripture that what god deemed necessary to help man be complete and to fulfill his calling was to give him a woman so that right there in itself signifies and denotes how powerful and how special a woman is she has the power of influence and again, and in that, he has the, the power to lead and conquer because that's the thing that God put inside him. But she has that ability to influence him to do it in a way that he would never uh, he would never otherwise see unless she was there present. Hmm. So it is important for men and women to come together and not think that they don't need the other in order for them to be whole and, and happy and joyous. But that doesn't mean that God can't use singles. Right. So I want, don't want nobody walking around. I got to get a man or I got to get a woman. You know, God can use singles as well. But at the same time, we know that God went man and woman together to procreate, to, to again, to replenish the earth. And again, God wants godly children, which I know you're going to go to later. <laughs> you know, it, it's just, it's striking me because everything you're saying goes back to purpose and intentionality. Amen. Everything you've been saying is, mm-hmm. is, and I think we're really walking in the image of God when we think like that, and we're Amen. doing those things. Everything God does is purposeful. Amen. It's worth a purpose. Amen. So it's like everything you're saying is, you got a purpose to do this. Mm-hmm. You know, even in that phrase, male, you just get that because <laughs> that's how you came. But but a, but a man, you got a purpose intentionally. Amen. And, and which going to go into our next question, which I'm gonna deal with, is discipleship. 
Uh, yeah, <laughs> obviously, you know, I've had, like I said earlier, I've had seven years in counting with you discipling me. And I know how much of a benefit that's been for me because it's such an intimate wall. You know, and to go back to what we called last night, home base. Mm-hmm. Have somebody you could do that with. Mm-hmm. And there's so many men out here who don't have that. Either they don't avail themselves to it or they yearning for it. But like you said, the weakness of the churches, mm-hmm. yeah. or, you know, is out there where they kind of, I can't follow that dude. Mm-hmm. You know, they're not telling me anything. Or I'm not even needed at this church, you know. Yeah. <laughs> so my next question is, how essential is discipleship in our culture, specifically African-American culture? Mm-hmm. Um, how essential is that? It's, it's very essential. I'm not here without it. Mm. Um, as I've shared with you my testimony, um, I attended Morgan State in the late 70s, early 80s, and, and that's where I walk, started walking in faith. And walking in faith <coughs> meaning that <coughs> uh, a group of men who were, who were strong in their faith, who were bold in their faith, they were sharing their faith, and they were sharing it with me. Mm. And... And, and when they shared it with me, I, I let it be known that, okay, yes, I've, I've received Christ as my Lord and Savior, but I didn't know what it looked like. Mm-hmm. So they invited me into their um, their Bible study, nightly Bible study, and and they developed me in understanding the scriptures. They helped me understand what God expected of me, what we should expect of God. Mm-hmm. Showed me again what the Bible says about everything that there is in life even what I was may have been struggling with so discipleship is essential for um, for the growth of manhood and growth for the church it's essential and it's not even just for discipleship is also for females as well um, and that's essential um, discipleship is again is is you know we use this phrase each one reach one each one teach one but discipleship we we seen it especially with Christ Himself. Mm. We get discipleship and the example of it through Christ and His disciples, and how important that was. That three and a half journey that those men were on. I mean, we we the church is here because of that intentionality. Mm-hmm. God calling out men. God the Son calling get men and then telling them what their role would be, what their purpose is, what their job. Is. You got you're going to be fishers of men so again discipleship if we're not doing that then the church is going to fall it's not going to be impactful it will be weak because again if that's that if you will the grassroots of anybody's development um, we can go to the the corporate ministry the corporate church on our uh, our worship days Sundays and we can go and have a great time in the Lord and I'm putting air quotes around all of that (laughs) but at the same time um, it's going to take that is the most essential part those small groups those cell groups those community groups whatever your branch of Zion called them that's where the uh, that's where the growth really comes from because you take those things that the pastor may teach on that particular Sunday and then the 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 sale groups, the support group, discipleship group comes together and then they help meet out some of those points that was in, in the sermon that will help somebody along the way because again, like you said with yourself the biggest challenge was to challenge you you don't know God <laughs> and it wasn't to uh, come off you know, all knowing and 
but it was a challenge for sure. to grow up, for sure. to, 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 to walk in faith. And, and that's what, again, I mean, when you read those stories of Paul, I mean, Peter, <laughs> you know, Philip, James, and John, the, the sons of Zebedee, these guys were tough pill to swallow. So, discipleship, you know, works both ways, and we can spend a whole, you know, <laughs> series on that itself, on why it's so important, but yeah. But I mean, I'm looking at your clock here. Nah, you good, man. Oh, we yeah. can we can record. Okay. We can record yeah. as long as we want. Um, but nah, we straight. It's a. Uh, you say something so often. Um, no one knows how much mm. you know. How much you care until you they so know. Much, yeah, no one cares how much you know until they know how much you, how care. Much you care. You say that so often, and that definitely goes into discipleship because I know for me personally. You know, I wasn't a big fan of you, of yours, for a long Amen. time. Amen. Um, just because it was, I guess, other people's opinions. Mm-hmm. Um, being immature mm-hmm. was a big part. But once we talked that one time, and you just started being transparent with me, it was kind of like, and you took the time to talk to me, walk me through some real dark times. Mm-hmm. So I think that did more than the the knowledge you was giving me. Mm-hmm. But my heart was ready to receive it Amen. because I saw how much you cared. Mm-hmm. It wasn't this passive thing. And I think that's so important in discipleship. Amen. And that's two <laughs> ways. And, I, and I'm glad you brought that up because, again, you talked about the, the two ways of this whole thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, I can be ready to disciple anyone, but if you're not willing to be discipled, <laughs> then that's a moot point. Yeah. You know, so, again, it is two ways. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's that, that yearning that you don't know when somebody taps into it and you're like, oh, man, I can hear. But to your point, that, that was... Um, that slang came to me again during that same period when I heard about the the, the saying that I shared with you earlier about mm-hmm. if a young man has to look further than his dining room table for for a leader. That same that about that same time I I, I I was introduced to that saying as well. And yes, no one cares how much I know mm-hmm. until they really know how much I care for them. And that not just in if you will discipleship. Genre, it's in every aspect of life. You know, you're going to be an educator. Um, again, students will be able to sense that you really care, mm-hmm. and, and they will be willing to listen to you when they actually know that you do. But if they know, and you know, I've been, you've been a student just like myself. You walk in the classroom and you deal with a teacher who don't really care about being it. Like you can see it mm-hmm. and you can sense it. And more times than not, because we immature, we'll give that person the roughest time we can. No. And I'm not I'm not bragging nor boasting, but that's just the reality that what happens to people. So again, and that helps me in, in my relationship with my wife. It helps me in my relationship with my children. And obviously as a pastor, it's definitely essential to, uh, again, be transparent about the realities of how God has worked in my life. And that I'm not some spiritual superstar that has never done anything wrong, who's never had to be delivered from something, who's never had to uh, wrestle with anger issues, who's never had to wrestle with other issues that everybody everybody else deals with. No, it's no. This thing is real. Yeah. And and when people can actually uh, touch and see that you can be in t- you can be in touch with their infirmities, yes, they they they're definitely more inclined to actually open up and share and in so doing they can be delivered just like you once were 
So that's why that that passage is so, or that it's good that you bring it up. Now it's it's essential to to my style of uh, teaching and leading because it helps me, and I know that's what I gravitate to. Yeah. And it's easy for me to listen to somebody when somebody actually has my day and actually concerned. Say how you doing and just keep it moving. Uh, do you really want to know? <laughs> Go ahead, man. Keep it going. <laughs> That's real. That's real. And talking with your wife earlier, she said, you know, one thing I love about Lonzo is his transparency. Mm-hmm. Makes it very relatable. Yeah. Um, I think that's essential. Okay, so wrapping up, in a sense, this is my last question I want to ask you. I want to actually expound on this passage of scripture, which is in Malachi chapter mm-hmm. four. Verses 5 through 6. Um, of course, it's talking about the coming judgment of the Lord. Um, this is the last book of the Old Testament. Amen. Before the New Testament. That Amen. intertestament time. <laughs> God didn't speak. And uh, the scripture says this. Look, I'm sending you the prophet Elijah before the great and dreadful day of the Lord arrives. That the Lord arrives. His preaching will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers. Otherwise, I will come and strike the land with the curse. Can you expound on that? Amen. Um, obviously, as you already um, set it up for, it's again, God is, is, is again um, warning the people of Israel about the necessity of leadership and, and why it is so important that fathers and sons, mothers and daughters, parents and children get together because, again, it comes to, like, Deuteronomy 6 and what he was sharing with them but also one thing he said so profoundly about Abraham his name was Abram at the time and one passage and again these are passages that I've read over the years but I can't recall because I haven't gone back to them in a while but he says he chose Abram because he knew he would teach his children about him Mm. he knew that Abraham would teach his sons his children about God that's the thing that it is essential for we men to, to do what God has called us to. Um, we, so often time, we men, the male figures in the home, we often time relinquish our responsibility to, to nurture our children, to lead our children to the mothers. We burden them with this great burden that they're the ones who's supposed to do the nurturing. But when you read the book of Ephesians chapter 6, that's the first thing he said, especially in the older um, versions and rendering of the scripture. It says, fathers, bring up your children in admonition of the Lord. Mm-hmm. It doesn't say mama. It says fathers. And when you read the Old Testament, you'll see that it was the fathers who named the children. Because that was their responsibility. We tend to, again, live in that world of ease, comfort. Because, again, God created her with this wonderful desire to help, to support, to make things better. That's what the woman comes along to do. And when we men who want to be at ease because we have this wonderful partner who wants to help, we dump everything on her to do it. And that's irresponsible. That's being passive. That's not leading courageously. And we're definitely not, not even concerned about the greater reward because all I want is the reward of sitting on my sofa with my remote in my hand and do absolutely nothing. 
where she has to sit up here and do all the rearing, the taking care, the housework, and all. And you just happy with just going out there making a little money. That in now and our day and age, we know the women are outperforming the men, which good kudos to them in terms of they're out there in the, uh, the workforce. But the reality of it is, is that again, that responsibility is he's turning the father's hearts back to the sons mm-hmm. and the sons back to the father because again let's let's think about it why are the sons hearts not with their fathers anyway when you know there's an innate uh thing in all of us to to reach up to our daddy and want our daddy to comfort us because he's this big strong looking dude and and then he comes off all soft and everything else he does or he comes off overbearing mm-hmm. Because that's that other part of the scripture you read earlier in chapter in verse 14 says we must lead in love yeah. and with respect and again that's that tender warrior yeah. Yeah. you know so it's it's nothing with that's what I believe God not just that mm-hmm. but there's um, we know that he's eventually that'll be the scripture that they use Jesus would raise would say about John the baptizer mm-hmm. When Jesus comes on the scene, to that he would be that person who would be in the wilderness, um, leading the fathers, leading the fathers back to their sons and sons back to their fathers. That is an essential again. God calling men to step up, to lead the, the lead your generation and help the next generation lead theirs, because that is essential to again the the continuation of of the building of the church and again to to your um, to the title of your your podcast is again living for eternity again that's you know that's our our, our mandate from God mm-hmm. it's the next generation because that's what you've read in Deuteronomy 6 yeah. it's about preparing the next generation to do what they're supposed to be doing passing it on passing it on passing it on and, and that's where it's supposed to start and Unfortunately, brothers haven't been taught. I'm not going to beat up men because I was one of those dudes. I was clueless. I didn't know what to do. I had a yearning. I had an inkling. I had a strong desire. But it was clueless. Okay. It was clueless. And that's what God was calling me to. And, and once it got a hold of me, I wouldn't let it go. I want I don't want to let it go. So, mm-hmm. no, man, it's a, it, it, it is something that's desperately needed in our culture. No matter what. Denomination you talk about you belong to, and no matter what race you belong to, mm-hmm. um, male leadership is is dwindling, man. It's at an all-time low, as far as I can tell. Yeah. You know, yeah. It's not because women are better, whatever the case may be, or men are worse. It's just that men have abdicated their responsibility because they never know what it was supposed to be, and I know I did because mm-hmm. I got a strong woman. She don't need me mm-hmm. to survive. She don't need me to, 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 to take care of her. She don't need me to do anything. But what she desires of me is to be God's man. She said that earlier. She said, you know, one thing she benefits, she loves about you is that you love God and you want to please him so much that they benefit. Meaning, Amen. whoever comes in close quarters with you. Directly her and the children. Mm-hmm. You know, so... That's that's a blessing to hear from a wife. Say that because you don't hear it a lot. You know, even in Christendom, you don't hear that a lot. But to to hear that 
to hear First Peter 3 come off the page. My God. You know, it's kind of amazing. And then when you were saying about manhood, the dwelling of it, you just see Isaiah coming off the page, you know, with, you know, when a nation is dwelling away and cursed when children and mother, women run run our nation. You can see it. You can see it. Um, I'm just praying that something you always, you just always hopeful for revival and renewal. It's going to start with, like you said, one man being a little Christ in his home. So, and those are things that we talk about on a day-to-day basis. You guys getting a snippet of it. But these are the kind of talks we have um, all the time. So, my last question for you. Um, I do this with everybody. About 30-second question answer. What does living for eternity mean to you? Okay. And you know what I'm going to put in there. I know. <laughs> living intentionally for eternity. And again, I heard my son's uh, uh, Brooke podcast. And I like the words that he used. He's talking about, uh, I think he said, use the word identity. Mm-hmm. And, and again, and when you come to Christ, um, just the word baptism means you identify with Christ. So once you identify with Christ, that's who you become. And in that becoming him, by the aid of the Holy Spirit, and you studying him, that's what living for eternity is. Because Jesus lived, he said, you know, for the joy that was set before him, mm-hmm. he endured the cross. And his whole intention was he... He wanted to bring glory to God's name. And so that's what it means for me. Living eternally means bringing glory to God's name, just like my, my Savior did. I want to honor him and bring glory to his name. Praise God. Praise God. This was great. Bless this was name. great. This was great. Um, one thing I always try to leave uh, folks who may listen to me with is a scripture that you can go home and think about and, and cherish. Since we was thinking about what we since we were talking about fathers, and uh, Father stepping up to that mandate that we was talking about, accepting responsibility, rejecting passivity, leading courageously, and always looking for the greater reward. Gosh, we one of the most blessed eternal uh, investments you can get and uh, receive is teaching these truths to your children Amen. so they can grow up and be strong men and women of God. Psalm 78 says this. It starts at verse 4. We will not hide these truths from our children. We will tell the next generation about the glorious deeds of the Lord, about his power and his mighty wonders. For he issued his laws to Jacob. He gave his instructions to Israel. He commanded our ancestors to teach them to their children so the next generation might know them, even the children not yet born, and they in turn will teach their own children. So each generation should set its hope anew on God, not forgetting his glorious miracles and obeying his commands. Then they will not be like their ancestors, stubborn, rebellious, and unfaithful, refusing to give their hearts to God. What a great hope, what a great promise, and what a great commandment to take hold of. Seriousness in it is sobriety. So that's just something I want you guys to take, think about, concentrate on, meditate on, and see how important that is. If you're practicing your life, well done. Keep it going. Stay strong. If you're not, reach out to men that you know are capable of teaching and they're living the life that they're teaching about. So praise God for this. Living for eternity. I hope you I hope you gain some wisdom. It's been a blessing to you. Have a good night. <laughs>